Our preaching passage this morning is next in our series in Nehemiah. We'll be looking at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Do please be seated now. The book of Nehemiah is written to teach us how to rebuild, how to rebuild our lives when we've been through a time of crisis, how to rebuild a church when it's been through a difficult time, how to rebuild a country, how to rebuild a city. And uh, as it teaches us how to rebuild, there's a key word that runs throughout the book. It's the word remember. Remember, remember, and at the end of Nehemiah, when we get there, we'll see that that word is repeated over and over again, remember. And so the message of Nehemiah is remember how to rebuild. And as we saw, the story of God's people at this uh, time is that they've been sent into exile because of their disobedience to God, their idolatry, and according to God's uh, prophet's uh, promise, God's word through Jeremiah, 70 years later, they had come back from exile under the sovereignty of God through the, um, uh, through the decree of King Cyrus, the king of Persia. They come back uh, to uh, Jerusalem, to their country. Many of them have returned, and they'd started to rebuild, rebuild uh, the temple. But Uh, The work had um, come to a stop, uh, the work of rebuilding, and in particular the walls of Jerusalem uh, were still um, uh, burnt, were still uh, destroyed. And so Nehemiah, as we saw last week, when he got this word from his his brother who traveled the 1,800 miles or so from Jerusalem all the way to Susa, the the winter capital of uh, Persia, where Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, uh, was, uh, was living at that time. And he got the word from his brother and his friends that the walls were still destroyed. And so Nehemiah had gone to God in prayer over many days, fasting and praying. And in particular, we saw last week that he'd gone before God, in the presence of God, this word in the Hebrew that's translated in different ways, in the presence of God, And therefore, when he contemplated being in the presence of the king, King Artaxerxes, the 
the uh, most powerful man on the face of the planet, he realized that he was in the presence merely of this man in the context of being in the presence of the almighty God. And um, so he had realized he had an opportunity. He was cupbearer to the king. And now we pick up the story and we see how he sees that opportunity. And he realizes, as we'll see in the first six verses, uh, that he's now in the presence of the king, Artaxerxes. And how, when we are in the presence of a, a fearful, a fearful presence, when we're in the presence of what we're scared of, he has great fear, how can we bring God's presence into that moment? We're going to learn that, and we're going to learn about the plan that, uh, uh, that Nehemiah brings forward and the providence of God as well. Well, the first six verses are all about the presence He's in the presence of the king. And how can he bring God's presence into that situation? How can you bring the, the presence of Sunday into the presence of the difficult boss or the difficult situation on Monday? And how can you bring God's presence in prayer into the presence of King Artaxerxes? And we're going to learn uh, from that as, as Nehemiah takes great courage. So it begins with verse 1, and the first six verses, as I say, are all about this presence. In the month of Nisan, or Nisan, that's about uh, four months, uh, this is verse 1, that's about four months uh, after uh, Chislev. It's in the 20th year. A lot of scholars have wondered, how can it still be in the 20th year when Nisan is four months after Chislev? Isn't that gone into the next year? We don't know exactly, but in all likelihood, the author of Nehemiah is counting by the, the years of King Artaxerxes. So this is still the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Even the calendar year has shifted. So in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, in the month of Nisan, this is now spring, March, when wine was before him, uh, and that word before is that word presence, um, toward, in the face of, and it's going to be repeated multiple times in these first six verses. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Again, the same, the same word, um, this multiple repeated word presence here in these first six verses. So in the month of Nisan, now why has he waited four months? Why so long? Um, it's possible because the king had not called him into his presence so in the, in the Persian um, uh, system, you could not go into the king's presence unless you were invited. And so for, for him to go without being invited would be a death sentence. We know that from the book of Esther. So it's possible this is the first time he's been invited since Chislev in November. Or it's possible that um, Nehemiah realized that what he's going to request, which is to take a journey over 1,800 miles to Jerusalem, uh, it was not a good idea to do it in winter, so better to wait until the spring. Anyway, it's Nisan. And he's cupbearer, so wine is before him. Cupbearer in those days was a very senior, eminent position. Nehemiah obviously was a fairly wealthy man through his position. He, he, could, he used his money, we know later in Nehemiah, to take care of the poor and to, to, to feed a lot of people and to look after people. He was a wealthy man. He was cupbearer to the king. It's a position of great influence because to be cupbearer to the king, you had to be trusted because kings and 
uh, in the time were always frightened about being poisoned. And, and so the cupbearer had to be utterly trustworthy person of, of great influence because his proximity to the king. Wine is before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And again, there's a, there's a context here. So uh, in, uh, the Persian monarchy had a rule that you couldn't be sad in the presence of the king. Again, we know that from the book of Esther. Mordecai, when he heard that the Jews were going to be killed, he put on sackcloth and mourned, but he couldn't do it in the presence of the king because you couldn't be sad in the presence of the king. So though Nehemiah had felt very sad about this situation of the walls being burnt down, he'd never been sad in the presence of the king because that was something you were not allowed to do. And again was a potential uh, maybe death sentence for being sad in the presence of the king. And so verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad? Well again, same word. Why are you to, to me sad or before me sad or in my presence sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why? Because you weren't meant to be sad in the presence of the king. Um, it's sometimes said that ancient courtiers, people who served these ancient eastern monarchs, every time they left the presence of the king, they would check around their neck to make sure their head was still on their shoulders. It was a risky job. They had ultimate power over life and death. You were not allowed to be sad in his presence. So he's very afraid. And of course he's very afraid because he knows what he is about to ask. So then verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Now notice that, friends. We're looking at courage here, and Nehemiah is exhibiting great bravery. And yet he's, he's careful with his words. He doesn't stamp his feet and demand. Let, let the king live forever. He's honoring him. Give honor to the one who deserves honor. Respect to the one who deserves respect. Let the king live forever. And then he says, why should not my face be sad? Again, the same word, presence, is repeated over and over again. So we're getting the idea that how can you be brave, not just on Sunday, but in the presence of your difficulties? Why should I not be sad before you when the city, the place of my father's graves, he's probably describing Jerusalem like that because even a pagan king would understand that you should honor your forebears. So it's the place of my father's graves. He's looking for a, a connection point. Again, how wise is Nehemiah? The place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king, verse 4, said to me, what are you requesting? The king is a busy man. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around. He's straight to the point. What do you want? And then what does Nehemiah do? So how can we be brave in the presence of our fears? How can, we, how can we bring into Monday our confidence that we get from singing on Sunday? Here, the end of verse 4. So I prayed to the God of heaven. 
Now, he's already prayed a lot, of course. He spent many, many days praying. And this isn't a formal prayer. This is what is sometimes called an arrow prayer. In his mind, he's suddenly saying, Lord, help me. He's praying to the God of heaven. He's reminding himself, as he prays, that God is the God of all nations. Every country on the face of the planet is under the heavens, under the stars. And God is the God of the universe. I prayed to the God of heaven, 1,800 plus miles away from Jerusalem, in front of the most powerful man on the face of the planet, frightened, O God of heaven, of the whole universe, help me. See, this is the way to bring into the presence of our fears the presence of God. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, again, in your presence, same word, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Again, throughout Nehemiah, we're remembering how to rebuild our lives, how to rebuild our churches, how to rebuild our country, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, verse 6, the queen sitting beside him, that detail's probably there to indicate that The president and the vice president agreed. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will we be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king, or it was before the king, same word, good, to send me uh, when I had given him a time. So I hope you can see over and over again those first six verses the presence of the king, the presence of the king, the presence of the king. How, how can you, in this day, when there's so much fear, and we talked this morning about the fear of COVID, but the fear of politics, who's going to win and what will be the result? Uh, the, the fear of moral decline, the, the fear of getting older, the fear of not having a job, the, the fear of being sad. He is a godly man and he's sad. Sometimes godly people are sad. The the, the fear of Monday, when you're outside of the joy of he will hold me fast, and then you come in the presence of your fears, the presence of King Artaxerxes. What do you got to do You pray to the God of heaven. You bring into that moment all the truth that we have affirmed together. God of all glory, the God of all universe, Lord, help me. You bring that into that moment. As a well-known president of Wheaton College who used to say, do not doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. Bring into that moment the truth. You pray to the God of heaven, or we could put it like this. So often, we doubt our faith and we believe our doubts. But no, we should doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. Pray to the God of heaven. And God in that moment gave him wisdom and courage. Even in the presence of King Artaxerxes, there was the presence of the God of heaven. 
So there's this emphasis on presence, but it's not just that. There's also a very specific plan. So verse, uh, verse 7, he says this, And I said to the king, Here's the, here's the particularities, the practicalities of the plan. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, again, how wise is Nehemiah to be um, uh, kind and generous and respectful, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river. That's the province that the Persians called Jerusalem because from their perspective it was beyond the river Euphrates and it was just part of the Persian empire. So he's talking about Israel, Jerusalem. Let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Now this is a very specific request and there's a reason for it. So back in Ezra, I remember I said that Ezra and Nehemiah and the Hebrew Bible was one book, and we don't know for sure, but it's possible that the scribe Ezra, the teacher of God's word, who knew God's word, who taught God's word, who practiced God's word, that Ezra put together the records of Ezra and Nehemiah, and indeed perhaps First and Second Chronicles, to describe how, people, how God's people went to exile, but then to remember how to rebuild, build, particularly uh, with Nehemiah. We know from Ezra chapter 4, that these very governors have put a stop to the work of God. And now Nehemiah, who almost certainly knew that, almost certainly that was part of the information he got from his brothers when they came, his brother and his friends when they came to see him, which we saw back in chapter one. He knew that, and so what he asked for is specific official backing to let him pass through. But again, how clever is Nehemiah. He doesn't tell the king to directly undermine what has already been said or go head to head with the governor, but he does give enough official permission that he may pass through. And it's saying, it's intimating to those governors that what Nehemiah is going to do has the backing of the king Artaxerxes. It's a very specific and clever request. And he says, verse 8, a letter to Asaph. You talk about particularities. Uh, The plan here is very detailed. The keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Now, we don't know exactly where this king's forest was. We do know that in ancient times there were far more trees in Israel than there is today. We know that from the description of uh, the book of Joshua where it describes the wooded places they were to take over. Uh, We know it from the description of King Solomon, the Queen of Sheba, when she came was amazed at the wood. There were many more, much more wooded areas could be from close to the city then. Or it could be Lebanon, the, the cedar of Lebanon that was famous in the ancient world and is also now greatly reduced the amount of wood that it, and trees that it has today, though there is still some small areas of the cedar of Lebanon. But either way, he's particularly, specifically requesting a well-thought-through, well-prepared plan. See, that's important too, isn't it? When you're thinking about your fears and you're, you're bringing into the presence of your fears, the presence of the God of heaven, also have a plan. Have it specific. Be prepared. And Nehemiah was. It's a key part of leadership. It's a key part of rebuilding your life. Rebuilding the country. 
rebuilding the churches. But finally, there's one other element here at the end of verse 8, which again is one of the themes through this Ezra and Nehemiah. And here it's, it's emphasized, the king granted me what I asked for I had prayed so passionately for I was such a wise leader for I was cupbearer to the king and very influential for my plan was such a good plan. No. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is a theme throughout Ezra and Nehemiah. When Ezra turns up in Ezra chapter 7, it's said over and over again in that chapter, the good hand of God was upon Ezra. And here, Nehemiah is detecting the same providence. So we have the presence and how to be brave in the presence of our fears by bringing the presence of God into that, into that moment. And we have the specificity of the plan, but here we have the providence of God. The good hand of my God was upon me. He detects the same thing as God was doing for Ezra. Now he's doing through him. The good hand of my God was upon me. And if you have your Bibles open, so I hope you do, in verse 18, and we'll look at next week, the, the same thing is emphasized. And I told them, these people he needs to help him with the rebuilding, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And indeed, in the previous chapter, he talks about how God's good hand, his hand, had redeemed them in the past. Now God's providence, the good hand of my God, was upon me. So how do we rebuild? We can't listen to our fears. We'll never rebuild that way. We need to listen to the truth about God. Pray to the God of heaven, even the presence of King Artaxerxes. But on the other hand, we can't be imprudent and naive. We have to have a practical plan. And through it all, we are utterly dependent upon the good hand of our God. I'm uh, now old enough to have adult children, and we have a couple of younger ones as well, but we have a couple who are uh, late teenage uh, years. And at this stage of one's life, it's interesting because you can, I can remember my hand in my mind quite clearly what it was like to hold my father's hand when I was a child. I can actually almost feel what his hand feels like. Of course, it wouldn't be like that. It would have been like this. But I remember what it felt like to hold dad's hand. But, but strangely, I remember also what it was like very specifically to hold the hands of my two older children as they walk down the road. I can f right now I can feel what it felt like to hold each of their hands. 
There's one picture of uh, me with one of our children, like particularly prize, where we're both walking down a hill. The picture's taken some way from behind us. So it's looking at our, our, our backs. We can't see our faces. And we're walking, and I'm, I'm holding one of my child's hands like that, and we're just walking together. The good hand of our God upon us. That's what we need, isn't it? And for that we must pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for this story that describes how you rebuilt your work in Jerusalem. And we do pray, Lord, that in the same way as we face the implications of these days and the need to rebuild your work, we give you praise for the the sense that we have that your good hand is upon us for the remarkable services we've had outside over the summer with people coming to know you for the first time, with people's faith being encouraged. With uh, Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the live stream with people from all around the world, thousands of people all around the world, uh, hearing your word, worshipping. We thank you for the, um, uh, the, the, these in-person services which we can now have, Lord, and the way that's encouraging and lifting us. But we do pray, Lord, that as we move now into the winter services and to the winter ministry, and as we move now into very closely the elections in this country coming, that for your people, your your people, the people of your prized possession, your church. Lord, that your good hand will be upon us. Help us, Lord, to face our fears and to take courage by bringing into those fears your presence and reminding ourselves of the truth that you are the God of heaven. Help us, Lord, to be practical, to make practical plans, give us wisdom. And above all, Lord, we pray that your good hand of blessing will be upon us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.